This is episode number 34 of Ships with Christina Maleka. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McCandrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is Christina Maleka. As a Seattle-based psychotherapist, Christina has had a front-row seat to the emotional and social impacts of smartphones and social media, notably increased loneliness, anxiety, and alienation. Where weak social ties are plentiful, stronger ties grow harder to create and maintain, and Christina is passionate about helping people connect more deeply. In 2017, inspired by the work of Sherry Turkle, Nicholas Carr, and her own transformative experience with digital fasting, Christina launched Unplug, Reconnect, Restore, digital mindfulness retreats that emphasize meditation, present moment experience, social connection, and self-reflection. A community organizer turned licensed mental health counselor, Christina brings over 25 years of experience with change-making, group facilitation, mindfulness training, and workshop development. She loves creating nurturing experiences for individuals and teams. Christina is a member of the Digital Wellness Collective and co-leads Jomo Plus Digital Mindfulness Retreats, which is a series of events designed to help digitally wary attendees learn to have a healthier relationship with technology. You are all in for a great episode with Christina today. We talk a lot about the importance of digital mindfulness, and she specifically breaks down her digital mindfulness retreats into four different aspects. So we really dive into the specifics of those. She also talks about the trajectory of her career, how she started in activism, and how that brought her into psychotherapy, which she is still pursuing today. We also talk about the importance of free time, social connection, as well as getting emotional needs met offline. We also talk about the power of presence and the impact that uninterrupted conversations can have. So this is a really great episode with Christina. I encourage you all to share it with your friends if you think it will really resonate with them. So let me introduce Christina Maleka. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is Christina Maleka. Christina, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me, Pat. I'm really excited to talk to you. I feel like I know you already because I've been listening yeah. to your podcast. I think we're kindred spirit, so this will be fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. You're doing some incredible work in the digital mindfulness, digital wellness, well-being space, and I'm very excited to dive in and 
hear you share all the great things that you're doing. Oh, well, thanks. I'm excited. I'm in good company because you've had some amazing guests. Yeah, yeah, we've we've so been I'm very honored. We've been very fortunate <laughs> and yeah. you know the hope is to continue having great guests like yourself on this show who are doing some really incredible and inspiring work. Oh, thank you. So I'm wondering if you could just start off by telling us a bit about yourself and where does your sure. journey in pursuing this path begin? Well, I think it began. So my first career when I got out of college was as a community organizer. So this will all make sense when I put it all together. So I worked as a community organizer um, for Greenpeace and other nonprofits on environmental justice issues and corporate accountability issues. Um, also LGBTQ rights and racial justice. So that was about the first 15 years of my career. And then during that time, I was also really involved in theater, which is another reason I'm interested in talking to you yeah. um, because you have a theater background too. And I was never a professional actor, but I did a lot of fringe theater um, in Seattle. And I feel like theater was kind of a bridge to, to my career change to becoming a psychotherapist because I see this connection between acting and therapy. Not that I'm as a therapist acting, <laughs> you know, like playing a role, yeah. but there's just something about listening and presence um, when you are learning how to be an actor. And I always really loved, I love performing everyone. It's, there's nothing better than being on a stage and performing, but I think almost more, I really liked my scene study classes where you were doing just a really deep dive into a scene with a scene partner. And it's all about listening, contact, empathy, presence. And so that's just something I really, really enjoyed. And in my mid-30s, I decided to switch careers to becoming a psychotherapist. Um, I sort of felt like that was that was shifting from macro social change that I was doing as a community organizer to micro social change, which is just helping people um, to be change agents, really, um, to take care of themselves and work on their stuff so that they can have an impact on the world and in their relationships. And my orientation as a therapist is I, it's a social justice orientation. I I kind of describe myself as a politicized healer, which just means that I don't situate, I try not to situate pathology in individuals without considering systemic forces, you know, like racism or sexism or homophobia. And that also has really informed my perspective on digital wellness, because tech companies are a really big outside force that we're dealing with. Right. Um, and so I also work with a really strong attachment lens with my clients because as you know, research shows that relationships heal, like relationships are the things that heal us, things that sustain us, and they're crucial for humans to thrive. So I pay a lot of attention to forming good attachments with my clients and looking at their history of attachment. Um, so that's, that's my background. Yeah, that's how I got here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it really is amazing just listening to you and talking like talking about the trajectory and how one thing really led to the next and now that you're working in psychotherapy and i'm curious then what inspired the creation of digital mindfulness retreats was it specifically work that you were seeing in your psychotherapy practice yeah yeah so you know as it's probably pretty clear by now i'm sort of a helper type of person <laughs> you know every time i take the Myers-Briggs. I'm an ENFJ, which is a helper. If anyone knows about the Enneagram, it's this really cool personality test. My type is actually called the helper. And so 
as a psychotherapist, I've always been really focused on the most impactful and lasting ways um, to help people. And I've been a therapist for over 16 years. And so I was a therapist before smartphones. I was a therapist before Facebook was readily available. I think it might have been available just to Harvard students. I'm not sure. But before social media came on the scene, before smartphones. And so I really had this front row seat to watching my clients grapple with this huge tech boom that we've had. And there's several places where I've really seen people struggle with their emotional health. And one of them is, of course, social media. Um, I don't want to fully demonize social media because I think there's a lot of great things about it. And maybe I'll talk about that later. But it's also just, you know, a platform for you to be constantly comparing, you know, comparing yourself to these idealized images of others um, constantly and that fear of missing out and knowing when you're not invited, like seeing when your friends didn't invite you to brunch and having access to your ex's information for the rest of your life. And I've just seen a lot of anxiety and emotional suffering related to social media and, you know, getting on a platform that is not embodied because those things really land for us when we're in the room face to face with people connecting with people. I could go on a huge tangent about neurobiology and mirror neurons, but there's kind of this function in our brain around empathy and connection that really only turns on when we're in the room with that other person. And so I see people like feeling like they're connected, but not quite feeling connected and having this, this loneliness. Um, and then the other big thing is a switch from phone conversations to texting as the main form of communication that we have. Um, I think text messaging is really great for I'm running late or what do you want to have for dinner tonight? Or even I love you. I'm thinking about you. Um, but when you think about the fact that 60 to 70 percent of communication is nonverbal and how important facial expressions are to communication and how important vocal tone are, it's like a pretty impoverished um, form of communication. And, you know, it took me a while to realize when clients were coming in and they were telling me about these really serious emotional conversations they were having with a partner or a parent or their child or a friend. And these were actually happening over text messages rather than in person or over the phone. And wow. Yeah. And what I see is just that we don't have any agreed upon etiquette for texting. Um, so it causes so much anxiety. You know, people send a text and they're like, I'm not sure what it meant. And, they haven't gotten back to me and I'm, you know, it's just very hard to interpret text messaging. So I've seen that cause a lot of anxiety for people. Um, and then also, you know, just the fact that we always have to be on and always available, like just the ramp up of the expectation for all of us that we have to be online at all times and responding to everything all the time. And I think that just causes a lot of stress and anxiety. So I, you know, kind of been working one-on-one -on -one with clients to help them manage their relationships with technology for years. And I realized a few years ago that I was not really managing my own relationship with technology. And I was spending a lot, too much time scrolling and too much time on my screen. And I was really stressed out and overwhelmed. So I took myself on a screen-free screen vacation for a week. Um, no phone. Oh, wow. Yeah. No phone, no laptop, no tablet. I didn't even watch TV. And um, I was on the Oregon coast. It was a beautiful place to be. But I'll tell you, like those first three days, I was jonesing. 
like they, I was really uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> because I had really just come to rely on my phone as a distraction and something to pick up when I was having a hard feeling and um, hadn't been in practice of tolerating boredom. And so the first few days were much harder than I thought they would be. But as I dropped into the experience, um, things just started to get really clear. Like I started to drop down into my body to relax, to have lots more time to reflect on, you know, I'm, I'm 52 now. And that was when I was 49. So like, what do I want the second half of my life to look like? What's important to me? What are my values? And I was able to leave, leave that retreat with a meditation practice that I keep to this day with a lot better boundaries with my technology and just a clear sense of my mission in life. So of course, being a helper, I, you know, wanted to recreate this experience for more people. And I have a lot of experience with like working with groups, facilitating groups, teaching groups. And I thought this is a great way to use my skills um, for something I feel really passionate about. So that's, that's kind of how digital mindfulness retreats came to be. Yeah, it really is amazing. Just like how much we can gain by disconnecting. Yeah. Through that like inner inner discovery and then also like more observation of like the external world around mm -hmm. you as well. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you sharing sort of your experience doing that personally. Yeah. Uh, I imagine at that point in time it was r really a turning point for you. It really was. I mean, it was really life-changing. I have to say it really changed my life. That sounds like hyperbole or really dramatic, but um, it just helped me to shift myself into a place where I'm putting the things that are important to me first. Most of the time, not all of the time, I'm human. You know, I still get sucked down into yeah. social media rabbit holes. I'm not like, I'm not like sitting on the top of a mountain, you know, <laughs> like I'm not a guru sitting on top of a mountain, but <laughs> I was really able to have like a really big shift in that. So it was a really profound experience for me. Right. Now you say on your website that digital mindfulness retreats emphasizes meditation, present moment experience, social connection, and self-reflection. And so I'm wondering for our listeners, if you could elaborate on these four aspects and why is it that you have decided to delve into these specific four aspects? Oh, I have so much to say. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> how much time do you have? Now, let me talk before I jump into the specifics. Can I just sort of talk bro broadly? Um, yes, yes, please do. So, so the time we spend on email and the internet and our smartphones really strengthen our neural network networks for fast processing of data. You know, we we are strengthening the parts of our brains that take in data and process data, but this sort of internet brain finds contemplation, deep thinking, um, sustained concentration and emotional connection harder because we're just not using those parts of our brain. Um, I can't remember which of your guests talked about th um, things that wire together, fire together. I can't remember who that was, but anyway. Um, so basically this is because these neural pathways that perform those actions are physically depleted because we're just spending so much time on our screens. But our brains are incredibly plastic. Um, there's this concept of um, neuroplasticity, which means that 
our brains can change throughout our lifetime. And it really just depends on which parts of our brains we're using. And this is like, um, this is very rudimentary neuroscience. Like I'm not a neuroscientist, but um, with all the reading I've done about the negative impacts of the, you know, of tech, the thing that's really cool is everybody's like, yeah, but this is, we can turn this around. Um, we can always go back and strengthen our neural networks for deep thinking and concentration, um, emotional connection. And we do this just basically by reducing the time we spend with digital information and increasing the time we spend, you know, working without distraction, tolerating boredom, connecting with people face to face in real time. So my retreats are really designed intentionally to re-engage the parts of our brain we neglect when we're always on our screen. So that's kind of the big picture. And then meditation. So that's the first of the four things you mentioned. Um, the reason I emphasize meditation is because mindfulness is basically the opposite of distraction. And I think it's the key to a healthier relationship with technology. Um, and so my retreats are really designed for people who are new to meditation and mindfulness practice. There is an emphasis on meditation, but it's not just like a pure meditation retreat. What I want to do is give people some tools, some beginner tools to learn how to be more mindful and empower them just with a, a way to start so they can build on that. And, you know, just to sort of contextualize mindfulness, because mindfulness is really something that's, um, exploded and is, you know, we think about it in sort of a secular way, but I think it's important, um, you know, to acknowledge it. It has roots in Buddhism, which is a religion practiced by nearly 500 million people. Um, and that I think we need to have reverence for that, um, and be grateful for that, you know, that, um, tradition, um, that has been gifted to us <laughs> by Buddhism. And there's, in Buddhism, very basically, there's sort of these four enabling truths, which are the truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering, and the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. And so I believe that overuse of technology can lead to suffering. And so I'm really about helping people to use meditation to decrease suffering. Um, at the same time, According to Buddhism, when mindfulness and presence are just used exclusively as ways to physically improve an individual person's life, we're really not honoring the tradition of mindfulness in Buddhism. Um, you know, from my perspective, digital mindfulness is not just about improving your life, but it's about looking up from your screens and being intentional about relationships with others and how you can be of service to a greater good. Because screens really keep us isolated and distracted. And mindfulness, I think, you know, can help us connect with ourselves and others. And I know that you, that's a huge passion of yours is human connection. And I think it's so important. It's something I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose the capacity for that. And, you know, for myself, me me my meditation practice has been profoundly helpful in my life. And I actually start all of my therapy sessions with a meditation Um my clients are now used to it. They actually come into my office, sit on my couch and close their eyes and put their feet on the floor. And um, that's great. yeah, and I, um, people really like it. They enjoy being able to just take that time to see what's happening. So that's the mindfulness piece. What was the next one? And then I believe the next one is present moment experience. And for our listeners out there, I'm wondering if you could explain what exactly you mean by that. By present moment experience? Yeah, uh, yeah, just 
honestly just being in the moment um, because technology and in particular social media really take us out of the present moment. So it's really just for moment to moment um, being aware of what's happening and awake to what's happening. You know, as soon as we take a photo to post on social media, we're in the future. We are not in that present moment. We might feel like we are, we're capturing this to hold on to. Um, but as soon as we take that photo, we're thinking about what hashtags we'll use, if we'll get likes on the photo, what people will think about us when they wow. see that photo. That's so true. Yeah. I've never heard it put, I've never heard it put that way before of when you're in the present moment, as soon as you take your phone out to take a picture, you're thinking of the future and no longer in the present. I love, I love how you put that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so like a huge part of helping people move into their present moment and my retreats is, and I suggest this for anybody is dropping into your senses. So most of us have five senses. Some of us have more, some of us have fewer. Um, but I really recommend dropping, you know, doing a scan if you've got five senses of your five sensors, be senses, because that brings us immediately into the present moment. So, you know, as a therapist, I work with people who've experienced trauma and I do trauma therapy with them. And if people start to get really dissociated or, you know, really upset, we go to the five senses and that grounds them and brings them back into the here and now. And so, I want to give people just a lot of experience with learning how to be present in the moment. And then all my retreats are held in really beautiful natural locations, like they're in the woods or they're on the beach. There's this really fascinating research uh, by these psychologists, Rachel and Stephen Kaplan, that was done in the 80s and 90s. Have you heard about attention restoration theory? Oh, I've heard of this, but would would you please explain it yeah. a, a little bit more for our listeners as well? Yeah. So their research showed that spending time in nature or like even just looking at scenes of nature, just looking at a book at pictures of nature um, can decrease overstimulation and increase concentration. So right there is an antidote to tech brain, <laughs> um, reduce mental fatigue, reduce physiological stress, um, can increase the capacity for interaction and like social connection and change negative states into positive ones. And I think any of us who go for a hike or spend time in a beautiful natural location can attest to it having this impact. Yeah. Um, so I also really emphasize being in the moment with nature and slowing down. Like we might sit outside and just watch some birds for an hour. You know? <laughs> um, just because connecting in that way is so important um, for our humanity. So that's, did I answer the present moment experience question? Oh yeah. I would say that okay. absolutely. There okay. is this moment of being present. And I really like what you were talking about with regards to slowing down, because I feel like nowadays, most of us don't take the time for that. Most of us feel like yeah. we need to be busy, busy, busy and doing something all the time in order to achieve a certain level of success, what, you know, whatever that may mean. And we don't really take the time to realize the importance of slowing down and taking time in those present moments. Yeah. And we really need to, we need to rest. We need to regenerate important, you know, even if you're concerned about productivity, like you got to rest to be productive. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering if you could talk 
with that said, a bit more about the social connection aspect yes. of the digital mindfulness retreats. You you're, we were talking a little a bit about it before when you touched upon like the importance of relationships and connecting to each other. But I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, yeah. So I honestly, social connection is the is the main focus and the reason that I started these retreats. So uh, a couple of episodes back, you were talking about how we use smartphones to shield us from discomfort. Yeah. Like we all, I loved that, you know, that we all sort of have this low level social anxiety and because of smartphones, sometimes we don't push through that anxiety. So I want to give people an experience of really deep connection um, to remind them that it's worth pushing through awkwardness to get to know each other. And so yeah, I'm really working on help, helping people remember, well, remember, because we most of us knew how to do this before we had technology. I mean, I guess some of us didn't, but, um, you know, at least for people in my generation, we did know beforehand and we've forgotten. You know, I think that, that people are always like, oh, the youth, they're always on their phones. They're always, they're so, um, you know, tech, tech dependent. And I think that's so not fair because... I am my, you know, my peers are, I think it's something that we all experience. Oh, I just went off on a tangent. Anyway. Um, no, no, it's yeah. a good tangent. <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. I think sometimes as adults, we might have the tendency to point our fingers and, mm-hmm. like you were saying, blame the people who are, you know, the younger kids, teenagers, and talk about how much they're on technology when little do we do some introspection and look at ourselves and realize that we're on it just as often, perhaps even more so. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's like when I walk down the street, I live in Seattle and I walk to work every day and I see so many people, I'm sure you see this too in New York, clutching their phones like talismans, looking at their phones as they walk down the street. It's a really big thing in Seattle. Like people are very, you know, connected with their phones. And that's not just millennials or younger people. That's people my age too. Like it's, you know, it's an issue for everybody. So kind of going back to the social connection thing. Um, so we have meals together, which is wonderful. Um, I intentionally scheduled the meals So we all gather together for meals. And so people, you know, there's nothing like sharing a meal with someone to get, to get to know them and to yeah. relax. And then also, you know, conversation and pairs and groups is just a, pretty big part of the retreat. You know, I, I put people in pairs to discuss, I'll talk a little bit about the kinds of things we talk about, um, in a minute, but there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of connection that happens, you know, at night, um, we might play a game. Like it's kind of like summer camp, right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's pretty cool. And so I also have options for introverts, you know, um, you know, I give them journal prompts and things if they're not comfortable with that much engagement or they need a break from it. But this is definitely not a silent meditation, you know, retreat where people kind of stay in their, their bubble um, and community gets built. So that is what's so important to me. Um, communities are being built around this work. So for my last retreat, which, is in, which, which was in March, um, all of the Seattle-based folks who came to the retreat um, came to my house to cook lunch in June, um, just to gather back together and reconnect and talk about the significant progress they all made, um, with tech life balance, but also just to connect. And it was wonderful. We cooked together and we hung out and 
there's been some really close friendships that have been formed um, and continue after the retreats, which makes me so happy. Um, one person sent me this incredible, one of the best emails I've ever gotten <laughs> um, saying that they really got the courage to come out um, as gay due to support and community they received at that retreat. Um, wow. that was huge. You know, I had, that's amazing. I know I have people who attend more. I've had people attend more than once. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about is to give people this experience of building community over a weekend and to, to feel the joy in that. So that's, you know, the social connection piece. The other thing I do is I, do some stuff around learning and practicing sympathetic joy. Do you, have you heard that term before? Sympathetic joy. I, I don't think so. I would, I'd love to hear more about yeah, it. Yeah, it's a good thing. So it's basically, um, there's a word in Sanskrit and Pali called mudita. Um, it has no counterpart in English. And it basically means sympathetic or unselfish joy or joy in the good fortune of others. And so one of the biggest pitfalls of social media is envy and comparison. And I feel like sympathetic joy is kind of an antidote to that. So working on seeing someone's wonderful vacation photos and being happy for them, imagining the joy they experienced, um, seeing that someone found love while you're currently single and wishing them well and wishing them joy, uh, noting someone's endless selfies, <laughs> Right. And and <laughs> and imagining this joy, pride, hope and vulnerability that are behind those photos. You know, I think a lot of people who feel mis misrepresented or unrepresented in the mainstream use selfies and posting pictures of themselves to just say, hey, I'm here. I exist. Um, and so I think there can be power in that. So we do we do some exercises around sympathetic joy and work on feeling sympathetic joy for each other throughout the weekend. And I think that's also a really important part of social connection. And then there was one last aspect you had, which was self-reflection. So I'm wondering how does self-reflection play into these retreats when you have the social connection going on, you have the meditation, mm -hmm. how is this different from the other three? Yeah. Well, um, you and Anastasia, was it Anastasia, Anastasia? Oh yeah. Anastasia. Yeah. That. Um, you just, yeah, Anastasia. Um, she was great. You talked about how, I mean, she talked about how we don't have enough time to be bored. Um, and so in addition to making space for creativity, boredom also is crucial for give, making space for us to reflect on our lives and what's truly important. We really have to be quiet to truly know ourselves. So during my retreats, people get a lot of free time. Um, and, and I have prompts for people who need them, journal prompts, other prompts, questions for people to use to reflect on what truly matters to them and why. Because you won't be motivated to spend less time on your phone unless you have something else that's really compelling to oh, do. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you have a passion. So it's not about, I'm not about taking away someone's coping. You know, for a lot of us, we use technology to cope. I mean, as a therapist, I can see people using technology to like, um, manage dep depression or anxiety. It doesn't work very well, but you know, <laughs> we, we do use it to cope and you can't take away someone's coping mechanism without offering a healthier replacement. And so I really talk to people about what you can add, like what can you add to your life 
rather than just talking about limiting tech use. Um, and so I also, for self-reflection, I lead people through this exercise about social media usage and their emotional health. So, you know, I, I talked before about the good things about social media. Um, you know, I think marginalized groups finding each other. Social media is so important for people with disabilities who aren't able to get um, maybe out or to places um, where they can have face-to-face -face contact with other people as often. Um, it helps people who are isolated. You think about like an LGBTQ kid who's in a really conservative town um, and feels really unsafe there, being able to reach out online and find other people. So, you know, there are really great things about social media, but I think we also need to be thinking really hard about the emotional needs we're looking to get met through social media. Um, and so I have people do this exercise where first we kind of, I put sticky sheets up because it's all analog. There's no, everything's paper. <laughs> it's just like flip charts and my horrible handwriting. We don't have slides or anything. Um, and I write down, I am posting this on one piece of paper because I want to feel this on another one. And I want people to think this about me. And I have people reflect on these questions um, and write them down on post-it notes. So it might be like, I am posting this photo um, or this opinion or this article or this experience, you know, because I want to feel connected or respected or accepted, um, envied. One of the things that comes up the most is seen. I want to be seen. Um, and I want people to think a certain thing about me. And so we then sort of reflect on, you know, how can you get these emotional needs met in an embodied way with other humans um, in real life, even though there's really, it's kind of hard to say what's real life and what's online life anymore. The distinction isn't very clear, but like, am I getting these emotional needs met some, somewhere off of a screen? And then what do I want people to think about me and why? And how close is this to my own experience of myself? Um, you know, where do I feel safe to express my true self? And that exercise is, people love it. <laughs> it's really powerful. Um, and so I think that offers a really great opportunity for self-reflection as well. Yeah, it really is amazing to kind of go back what, what we were talking about early in our conversation, just the importance of that self-reflection and really looking inward and being alone with your thoughts and having these moments of solitude yes. where you can just sit down and like think. <laughs> That's so important. Yeah, I know. We just don't get enough of it. I remember being a kid, you know, um, taking, you know, going on road trips with my family with literally nothing to entertain me for hours and just the daydreaming. I mean, certainly we were bored and we complained that we were bored because we were kids and my brother and I would like, poke each other and stuff. But um, also just like so much time daydream and reflect. I had such a rich fantasy life at that time in my life. And um, I want to still make space for that. Um, I want to make space for daydreaming. So yeah, I think that's important for all of us to do for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I really I wanted to go through these aspects of the digital mindfulness retreat mm -hmm. that you've created because I believe that they are so essential with regards to how we live out our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah. And 
I've heard some professionals actually like critique retreats and detoxes of any kind mm -hmm. because they claim that once the retreat is over, you know, the individual is going to go back to their daily lives and just fall back into their old habits again. Right. But you've actually created a do-it-yourself guide for an at-home digital mindfulness retreat, which I think is amazing. So I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners uh, how this works and then how can our listeners engage in their own at-home retreats? Okay, cool. Um, first, I just want to talk a little bit about um, the digital detox thing. I actually agree with that. Um, that's why I call my events digital mindfulness retreats rather than digital detox retreats. And when I first started, I called them digital detox retreats because I felt like that was something that people would recognize. People still don't really understand what a digital mindfulness retreat is. I'm working on that. I think they will eventually. But um, I'm, I'm not interested in just taking away people's phones, you know, and having a nice weekend and then sending them back into the world um, without any skills to maintain their progress. And, you know, I do think that in the digital age, we can all benefit from a tech free time to step back. You know, I think that people go on yoga retreats now and meditation retreats now. And I think that going on tech free retreat might be something that people do for their self care once a year, um, just to evaluate their lives and take care of themselves. So people do go tech free in my retreats. I take their, their tech away. Um, but it's so that I can clear that space for them to look deeply into themselves and to connect with others. And I, I do offer tips um, and there, those are in my DIY guide as well, which I'll talk about in a sec. I do offer tips for people to create healthier relationships with tech, but it's not my main focus. I feel like other people like Nina Hersher and Catherine Price do so much, a so much better job of this than I do. And it's so valuable and I don't want to duplicate. I want to add something new. Yeah. And then you know, some other feedback I've gotten from some people and is that, you know, just focusing on tips for tech life, tech life balance can also, it has the potential to be kind of disempowering for people because it ignores these systemic factors and mm. doesn't offer a critique of how we got here. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like with climate change, we get told all the time that if we just reduce our carbon footprint, everything's going to be okay. When actually there's a huge corporate accountability and governmental piece in that. You know, and that it's disempowering to tell people that it's up to us to reverse something like climate change. It can't just be on all of us as individuals. And so tech companies are making these addictive products and they're using our data to manipulate us. Um, there's also this corporate cultures, you know, that use technology as an excuse to demand that their employees be available 24-7, which I think is a really abusive workplace practice. Um and so, you know, I will do workshops and retreats um, in organizational settings, like corporate settings or organizational settings. But before I do, I always work with the management to make sure that I'll, I'm not going to be disempowering employees by being like, here's some things you can do to have better tech life balance. And then they go back to work and they're not actually allowed to do that. So I think we always need to question authority and expect corporate accountability. That's just me. And, you know, asking who benefits, um, you know, I... As I've started this work, I have gotten so much pressure to be on Instagram. Everyone's like, you have to be on Instagram. You have to be brand <laughs> yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. You have to be personal brand. I hear you on that. Yeah. Do you get that too? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you really step back and you're confronted with information on the algorithms that don't really serve like a small business like yours and mine, um, we really can't get much traction on Instagram. 
to be really honest. And this, this refrain of you have to be on social media really ultimately kind of benefits Mark Zuckerberg, you know, and the social, the huge social media marketing industry. It doesn't really benefit us as individuals. So I think it's always just important, you know, once again, to just think who benefits this, who benefits from this? Is it for me? Is it so that um, social media companies can use my data to market products to me? So that's just my little my little aside um, on the importance, <laughs> the importance of looking at this, not only as an individual issue, but as a corporate accountability issue. Um, and I know a lot of people in the digital wellness collective are working really hard to hold tech companies accountable. And I think that's really important and really great. Um, and so with the DIY guide, um, you know, not like not everyone can afford a weekend retreat or a week long retreat either time-wise or money-wise, I definitely try to have low-cost um, and scholarship spots in my retreats, but I really wanted to make this work as accessible as possible to everyone. So I created this DIY guide to an at-home digital mindfulness retreat, and it basically um, guides you through all the components. So the things I just talked about that are some components of my retreats, um, it gives people sort of just like a, a roadmap for building their own retreat at home, which could either be like one hour or a weekend. You know, I always encourage people to start small and have success and build upon that success. Um, and so, you know, I just, I think that a lot of times we're told that we have to unplug, like you've got to unplug, you've got to spend time offline, but we don't know what to do with ourselves when we do. Like, we're just like, okay, so I'm unplugged. Now what do I do? How do I, you know, benefit from this time. And so what I really wanted to do is provide people a template to help them um, to benefit as much as possible from their unplugged time. So the guide, um, my incredible graphic designer, um, Mark Hartley, does a beautiful guide for me and it's available on my website, which is dmret.com. And so I really encourage people to go on there and I, I would love to get feedback. Um, from folks who try the at-home retreat about how it went. I actually am super excited. I got a call from a journalist at the Seattle Times a couple of weeks ago, and she's gonna she's gonna do the her, the DIY retreat and do a story on it. So I'll be excited. <laughs> I hope it, I hope it's good. I hope she has a good experience. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's the DIY guide. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you doing that too because I think that. Nowadays, we've even though like this technology hasn't been around that long, we've been so ingrained in it and has consumed so much of how we live out our lives that we need things like a do-it-yourself at-home retreat in order to be able to help us to realize, oh, okay, there's more out there than just Facebook or Instagram or email or whatever else is happening in the online world. There's actually a lot that not only the external world has to offer, whether it be through the relationships we cultivate with people or, or the nature that we experience as we were discussing before, but then also like looking inward and figuring out what you yourself have to offer as a person. And I think that's why these sort of retreats are really incredibly important because they offer this new perspective of, of looking at life. Seriously. Yeah. Like what are the menus? We have so many menus that we see online. Like how do we make our own menus? 
our own pull down menus. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> and I'm I'm wondering if you could comment uh, just with all of that said on how you believe digital mindfulness retreats can help people flourish better in an age that is consumed by technology. Oh man. Um I guess by reminding us of our humanity and the power of presence and our capacity to connect with other people. Um, you know, every element of my retreats are intentionally designed to pull people back to mindfulness and embodiment, embodiment and presence and calm. Um, you know, and basically they're offering a break from stress states related to high tech usage because we need breaks. Um, and I want folks to get the most from those breaks. So yeah, that's, does that answer the question? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Absolutely. And good. it's just like, it's one of those things that I want to make sure to bring out for our listeners out there that mm -hmm. for those people who might be struggling with their tech use or who are always on technology or even who might be suffering from like social anxiety or, or isolation, mm -hmm. that there are a lot mm -hmm. of options out there. And it might feel like yeah. every, it might feel like everything is happening online, but there's so much of yeah. life to experience that is beyond uh, the screen of your yeah. smartphone or even your computer. Yeah, I made my DIY guide something you could print, download, and print. Oh, great! <laughs> so that no great. one has to. Yeah, so that. But it's interesting. People keep saying, "Are you going to do? You going to do like a video class on this?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I mean." I would like to make it accessible in that way, but that seems like a really big paradox um, <laughs> to be delivering it from the screen. Oh yeah. That's like the toughest, that's the toughest thing with this industry is like yeah. figuring out that balance between, okay, I want to promote this work, promote this message mm -hmm. and get it out there. So there is this need to be, have a very active online presence, right. but at the same time, because of, you know, what we're preaching, it's like, oh, okay, well, we need to strike that balance yeah. because we don't want to be hypocrites necessarily. Is that something you struggle with a lot too? I, I thought, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's really figuring out how often to post, how much should I be on social media? Yeah. Because yeah. I'm a big believer that like this sort of message, I want to reach as many people mm -hmm. as possible. Yeah. And because so much of the attention is on social media and online, there feels like this pull to be on there. But at the same time, I want to know to like exercise what I'm, what I'm talking about and pra practice right. what I'm preaching, you know? I know, I know. You know, it's interesting. I've been really focusing. I definitely have like a, I definitely have a social media presence, but I have to admit that I neglect it. Um, and I have rheumatoid arthritis, so it's actually really hard for me to type on my phone. And Instagram um, doesn't have a very robust desktop platform. And I just hired this amazing woman, Anisha Bartley, who's going to start helping me with my social media. So I'm hoping that it, I'm upping my game soon <laughs> with that. But I also, um, I've been really focusing on, on in-person connections. So a lot of the work that I'm doing is, is talking to people, going to community meetings, giving free presentations in and around my own community and the people, you know, I've never gotten a retreat participant off social media. Um, I get people from word of mouth and from talks I give. Um, but I think that 
when people see digital mindfulness retreat on social media, they might actually feel kind of guilty or bad or shameful, which I don't want people to feel, you know, like, oh, I know I need to deal with that, but it's like too much. So I just feel like I'm walking a really fine line with that and I'm still figuring it out. And Oh yeah, it's a process. And really this digital well-being, (laughs) digital wellness field is, it's this very new movement. And I think all of us, you know, you and you and me included are still trying to figure out this terrain. And I'm curious with all that said, so much of what we talk about on this podcast, and you were mentioning this earlier about the importance of connection, the importance of relating and communicating with one another and really building relationships that are deep and meaningful and are going to sustain us as well. So I'm curious from your perspective, what your definition of a genuine human relationship is, and then how can digital mindfulness help improve our relationships with ourselves and others and with the world? Mm. Well, I guess that my, that's such a big question. (laughs) It is. is, That's kind of big. Um, I think for me, a deep, genuine relationship is is having deep, meaningful, messy, meandering, uninterrupted conversation. That's something I miss. I love that. I really miss the ease of that. And I also think it's about accountability to each other. Um, I think we're so overwhelmed with everything that's coming at us. You know, we've got text messages, we've got IMs, we've got email, um, that we're, we're kind of losing our capacity to be really accountable to each other. Um, you know, it's so easy to ignore an email. It's so easy to ignore a text message. Um, it's so easy to ghost on someone or to flake on someone or to bail on someone because you don't have to actually look them in the eye and see their, that impact on them. And Christina Crook, um, one of my favorite people talks about good burdens. Um, She talks about how as humans, sometimes burdens are good for us. And, you know, I feel like we do need to have some obligations to build trust in community. Like we can't have community without mutual support. And sometimes that means that you're obligated to do something. And I think technology sometimes helps us to get out of our obligations. Um, And so You know, I think digital mindfulness helps to serve this by just helping us to constantly sit back and ask, who does this serve? Like, I'm spending this time on this this electronic platform. Um, That sounds like makes me sound so old. Electronic platform. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) is this serving me? Is it serving my relationships? Um, You know, and how can I be intentional about how I'm using this tool? And so using mindfulness skills really helps us once again, to be back in that present moment and aware, you know, of the pull that to resist the pull of mindlessly engaging with our phones all the time. So, yeah. Well, Christina, thank you so much for being on the ships podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your incredible insights into digital mindfulness and just in really all the great work that you're doing. I'm curious if you could just share with our listeners, maybe a website or platform that they could find out more information about you and your work. Yeah. So um, it's digitalmindfulnessretreats.com, but dmret.com also works. 
And you can get a copy of my DIY guide. You can find out more about upcoming retreats. Um, contact me. So there's a ton of information on my website. Great. Sounds good. Well, I'll make sure that uh, our, our listeners go and check that out and that that information is in the show notes as well. Great. So thank you, Christina. Yeah, of course. And thank you again for, for being on the show and a, a special thank you just for all the great work that you're doing, all the digital mindfulness retreats that you're doing. And yeah. I know that you have some upcoming events as well with Christina yeah. Crook of Jomo coming up. I'm so excited. Yeah. For you listeners out there who you think this might be right up your alley, I guess the best place to check that out would be your website, correct? Yeah. Can I do just a minute of shameless self-promotion? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I'm actually taking a little break from promoting my own stuff until 2020 because I realized that I'm not practicing what I'm preaching, you know, getting this off the ground has been a lot of work. So I'm just going to chill a little bit, but there's some really cool stuff coming up in 2020. So yeah, Christina Crook from the joy of missing out. Um, I read her book in March and I wrote her a letter saying, you are my digital mindfulness soulmate. Um, do you want to, do you want to collaborate on some retreats? And she was like, yeah, I do. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we have this incredible retreat coming up in, March, uh, the end of March, beginning of April, 2020, which is a, a week long retreat at present moment retreat center in Troncones, Mexico. I've been there before. It's like heaven on earth. It's a wonderful place. And we're going to do five days of tech free and then two days of digital declutter and helping people to sort of practice digital mindfulness skills in the real, in real time so that they can kind of leave that retreat with some feeling like some competence with that under their belt. And it's, um, there's yoga, there's surfing, there's hiking, there's kayaking, like it's going to be epic. It's going to be great. And then I'm also going to be offering, um, a retreat on my own, um, in June at the Whidbey Institute outside of Seattle. So, um, that's, what's coming up. Check it out on my website. We'd love to have more people in the sort of digital wellness, digital mindfulness space at the retreat. I think it'd be so cool um, for people to get together and just talk more deeply about these topics. So I'm excited. Awesome. Great. Well, everyone, please check out these resources. So Christina, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. It was such a pleasure, Pat. Thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Christina Maleka. There was a lot of great information in there, and I hope that you take it and implement it into a part of your life, even if it's just starting small. Just like Christina said, make it easy for yourself so that you could then get those successes that will motivate you to expand that time, perhaps in your own do-it-yourself at-home digital mindfulness retreat. So Christina, thank you so much for joining us on the show. If you liked this podcast episode, please feel free to share it with a friend, leave a review. I would really appreciate it. Comment, subscribe, or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. I always love hearing our listeners' questions and suggestions on how to make this podcast more impactful in your lives. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing amazing episodes with inspiring guests just like Christina Maleka. 
So please feel free to support if you can. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Ships. I'm glad to hear that you are enjoying these episodes and that you are getting something out of them. And that is the most important factor for me. So thank you so much. And I look forward to joining you in the next episode.